Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Hello and welcome to Stowe Talks, a podcast designed to support people going through relationship breakdown and all the challenges this brings. I'm Matthew Taylor. And I'm Lisa Gatchell, family lawyers at Stowe Family Law. And today we are joined by Dr. Supriya McKenna, a leading expert in the field of narcissistic relationships, for part one of this podcast looking at how to parent alongside a narcissist. Dr. Supriya started her career as a GP and health writer and now works as a writer, coach and trainer exclusively in the area of narcissistic relationships. Dr McKenna directly helps those who have fallen victim to all types of narcissistic abuse, including in the area of separation and divorce. She also trains family law professionals at all levels in how to recognise and manage these personality disordered types. She is the author of the brand new book, The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders, and of the Amazon number one bestseller, Divorcing a Narcissist, The Lure, the Loss and the Law, with legal contributions from solicitor Karen Walker. She narrates the audiobook of the same name, and she conceived Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide for family lawyers, which she co-authored with Karen. Dr. Sapria also writes a monthly feature about narcissism for Reader's Digest and is a media commentator on the subject. So welcome again, um, Dr. Sapria. Obviously, third time now on the Stow Talks podcast, because the advice you give is just brilliant. And we, we always ask for you to come back on and cover different subjects. So today we're going to be looking at parenting. So perhaps we could start with do different rules or parenting rules apply if your co-parent is a narcissist? Yes, very definitely. Yeah. Um, So firstly, it's really important to understand that we're talking about real narcissism. So we're talking about someone who would qualify for a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder or NPD, which actually means that their brains are wired differently to a a person who doesn't have narcissism, an ordinary person. And that's the problem. That's where the problem lies when you're dealing with with trying to co-parent with a narcissist. 
because they are they have totally different drivers to people who don't have narcissistic personality disorder and and that means that they don't actually want to co-parent what they want to do is counter-parent so that means that they want to do the exact opposite of what the other parent wants and so it's really difficult for people who are in this situation the other co-parent because you can't co-parent because they don't want to co-parent and you have to realize that that's not your fault it's it's not your fault it's their brain wiring and the real issue that we have here is that nobody gets that so social workers will blame you and they'll blame you both um they'll suggest uh, co-parenting courses they'll think that family therapy can work um and actually that's an abusive situation to put you into with a narcissist and that they don't get the fact that there's an underlying personality disorder which is actually running the show rather than conflict between the couples and they have this whole it takes two to tango um mentality which is really really difficult because there is no training in personality disorders unfortunately kind of really for for lots of professionals within the kind of family court system yeah i i think that's right and it almost ends up being a little bit of victim blaming sometimes because of that um you reference the different drivers that narcissists have now if for anyone who's coming fresh to this podcast and listened to the previous two that Sapria's very kindly done with us, it might be a good time to pause there and go back and listen to those two because Sapria goes in to great depth in both of those about, you know, firstly separating from a narcissist and then post-separation of abuse, which we'll deal with that in a lot of detail. But I think it would be helpful just to have a kind of brief kind of dive into what it is that does drive a narcissist to behave in the way that they do. Yeah, yeah, I think it is really important because if you don't understand this very basic bit, and I'll just sort of go through that fairly quickly, you've got, got to really understand this because it's the basis of why they behave so difficult to, in, with such, you know, it's such difficult behaviours. Essentially, a narcissist has low self-esteem underneath it all. So what they do is they put out, they put out a false persona to the outside world, an image, and they need that false persona to, um, they hide behind it, actually. It's like a sort of armor. It's like a shield. So they hide behind this false persona and they need other people to believe in that false persona because other people's belief, external validation in that false persona keeps it whole. And it means that if other people believe in it, they can believe in it themselves. So they need constant attention um, and external validation to keep this false persona alive and whole so that it can protect them from their own feelings of low self-esteem and worthlessness and shame and inadequacy. And they might not look like that. In fact, the false persona is usually you know, very different to someone who looks like they've got low self-esteem. So that's what throws people off the scent um, if you don't know about narcissism. So that external validation that they need, that constant external validation is called narcissistic supply. And essentially, a narcissist will get that from attention and adoration or they'll get it from drama conflict and by instilling fear in their ex or anyone else and any emotional reaction actually will give a bit of a hit of narcissistic supply so that's what's going on that's what a narcissist needs they're driven by this need for constant narcissistic supply and i always sort of tell people to think of a narcissist as storing their narcissistic supply in a bucket which has a hole in it so if you imagine it's stored in a bucket with a hole in it so it's constantly draining away but what they need to do is actually keep the level in their bucket at a certain level if it goes below that then their shield that false persona that protects them actually weakens and then they start to feel how they really feel about themselves they feel that shame they feel that worthlessness and to a narcissist that feels like an existential crisis it's unbearable that's the thing that they're trying to avoid feeling 
So what happens um, is that they react with rage. So as soon as that the levels go down in that bucket, if they don't get enough attention or adoration or drama or conflict, or they don't scare their spouse enough or ex enough, the levels drop um, and they react with narcissistic rage. Um, and, and everybody who's been in a relationship with a narcissist will recognize um, rage. And it doesn't even have to be the kind of shouty kind of rage. It can be a quiet sort of psychopathic kind of fury. But that rage will basically lead to the levels in the bucket going up really quickly because um, they'll get attention from it. it they'll cause drama and there'll be conflict. Um, and of course, whoever's watching um, will be scared. So that's a brilliant way of getting uh, the narcissistic supply levels back up in the bucket. And they don't know that any of this is happening, by the way. So if you imagine that loads of people are constantly pouring into that bucket, everyone they know is pouring into that bucket. The biggest source of supply and the biggest watering can, if you imagine, pouring into that bucket, who was who pouring at the fastest rate, who is the most reliable source of supply as well, was their former partner. And what happens is that when you get divorced or during the divorce process, regardless of who left who, that partner is now out of play. They're not pouring into the bucket. And so, of course, there's a drop um, in the levels. And that's what's driving all of these behaviours. It's the need to get the levels in the bucket up. And so they use the children as tools um, and as excuses and reasons to get supply uh, from their ex. That's what they're using the children for, to get that attention, to get to cause the drama, the conflict and to scare them. And of course, also, there are other things that lead to that. So if their ex left them, they've been injured, essentially, and they've been abandoned, and they want to kind of punish their ex for that. So that leads to, to problems as well. Um, that leads to these behaviours. They've got no empathy or very low empathy. So they can't care about how, I mean, you know, this is someone you were potentially married to for decades, you know, but they don't care about how, they can't care about how that person feels about their behaviours. It just doesn't matter. They can't care. And also, once their spouse has fallen off their pedestal, they can't see them as being a blend of good, good or bad. So basically, you're either all good or you're all bad to a narcissist. And that's the same with them. They're either all good or all bad. Um, so it's called a lack of whole object relations um, in psychological terms. So basically, once you've um, divorced or you've left your, your narcissistic ex or they've left you, it doesn't matter. You're all bad and you deserve uh, to be taken down. And of course, they also have a massive need to control and a need to win because they need to feel powerful and special uh, mm -hmm. to keep that that shield, that false persona up and whole and protecting them. So that's what this is actually all about. Yeah. And I mean, these behaviours, they're all incredibly difficult to deal with, aren't they? We're talking about um, low empathy, need to control, need to win, trying to, you know, co-parenting is all meant, almost meant to be. Um, you know, a relationship of give and take, and you're not going to have that within these types of relationships. But is there a stage where it ever gets easier to deal with a narcissist? The narcissist won't get any easier, but your reactions, well, there's, there's actually two, two things, two strands of this. So how you deal with it can make it easier, um, as in you can get used to it and you can find ways to deal with it. But also the narcissist, if you don't give enough supply and they happen to go and get supply from someone else because of that, because they do need that supply, that narcissistic supply, it can be that they get a bit better at that point um, if they've got someone else to get the supply from. But that's not always the case. And sometimes, you know, if they lose their job or if they, you know, they, they lose their next partner or whatever, they, can, they will come back to you um, quite often because you're an easy source of supply. So they can... 
they can just keep coming back. So some of them, if you manage them, if you really are consistent with with not giving them any supply, not showing any fear, you can you can make them go away largely. But they will find excuses every now and then to come back. And some of them, a minority will just keep coming back no matter what you do until the children are basically 18 or 16. Um, and, and I think it, for, I really want to say it's really important to say they're not going to get to the point where, you know, you can go to birthday parties together. You, know, you won't be worried about attending your children's weddings together. You can, you know, have success, you know, go to graduation ceremonies and all of those things. You, that's never going to happen with a real narcissist. And they're not going to come in for a cup of tea and, you know, go on holiday with you guys. It, that's just never going to happen with a real narcissist. Um, so they're never going to get better to that extent. It's just that they might go away. That's the best you can hope for is that they'll largely go away. And that really is the best you can hope for. So, I mean, it's obviously, this is the point in the podcast where anyone listening thinks, oh my God, this sounds really depressing. And there is stuff that you can do. You know, there are methods and tips and things. We'll probably come back to those in a little bit because I think there's a few other points we need to cover first. But just in case anyone's thinking, oh my goodness, this is forever, um, which is a really tough thing to, to hear, but is also something that, you know, for forewarned is forearmed um so hopefully you can help and plan around that but before we get into that i think the drivers are all really interesting but what are the behaviors how does that exhibit itself you know what behaviors will narcissists carry out yeah so they are absolutely just like the behaviors in the marriage actually if you look at what the behaviors were in the marriage cookie cutter behaviors they all do the same things it's exactly the same with how they behave um, post-separation. So essentially, they're using the children as weapons of post-separation abuse in order to get narcissistic supply. And what, what you can break those things down into, I tend to break them down to three things, so emotional abuse, financial abuse, and legal abuse, using the children as weapons. So one of the things they do all the time is trying to get contact, trying to have contact with you as their ex, to try to get your grade a premium narcissistic supply so they're constantly trying to have contact with you so they'll use the children's excuses to have all sorts of types of contact so physical contact um whether you know where they not never bothered to sort as in being in the same space you know where they didn't really bother to show interest in, in things like that before so to do with the children so they'll turn up to school events um they might turn up to parents evenings when they not never bothered before because they want to be there next to you um they'll want i mean this one of joint joint children's birthday parties i they do this all the time you know they they send emails oh you know what are we going to do for little felix's birthday party he wants he wants us both to be there and they kind of try and guilt trip you so that you're in the same space as them and let's arrange it together that's all to get narcissistic supply um hospital appointments that's a brilliant one one that's horrible is when they turn up to school runs i had one case it was terrible and we had a non-molestation order in the end it, but she he would turn up the narcissist was was a male in this case and he'd turn up to the school runs never bothered to to pick up the children before but he'd sort of swing that you know he wanted the child to be in, in between the two of them they'd walked out you know to the to the car and he they'd sort of swing the the child and that's what he'd say let's swing the child you know as we're walking down um you know hand hand in hand you know down to the car and it was it was so awful for her but of course anyone looking just thought oh that's nice it just looks like happy families and that's presumably what yeah. the narcissist 
Access wants to project. It, yeah, it's all about that, you know. They, and they do things with with overnight bags as well. And I'm not happy to leave their overnight bag. Um, do a, an exchange at school. Um, I want to bring this to you, and you should come to me, and we should directly, you know, because there's a whatever an iPad in there or whatever. Um, things have to be swapped directly so they, they do that so they're trying to get that kind of physical contact to to get that narcissistic supply from your reactions from your fear um and the other thing they do again to try and have contact with the ex is mediation so they'll find an issue about the children and then they'll go oh, let's mediate let's sit in a room together with a mediator um and then i can just manipulate the mediator um i don't really want a resolution i've just made this up as an excuse to see you and then i can run rings around you and around the mediator and i'll be clever and superior and brilliant and you'll be scared and it'll be marvelous uh, um narcissistic supply so that's another one and, and as i say again you know someone looking in on that would just think well you know they're trying to sort this out they want mediation they want to be reasonable so you're on your own you know you you feel like you're going mad basically harassment so this is where they're and I'm think talking about correspondence here. So it's it's the whole thing. They will just be constantly um, bombarding you with anything to do with the children um, that they again that they weren't interested in. A good one that I, I heard recently, which was a new one to me, is um, that the narcissist would contact the spouse and go, "What is you know little you know um, whatever Jenny? Let's call her Jenny. That's not a modern name, but we'll call her Jenny. <laughs> Let's call this. What's little Jenny having? How are we choosing her school meals during the um, during the day? Because I need to do my meal planning so that when she's with me, I don't want her to double up and have fish pie twice in one day or whatever. I mean, he'd never cooked a meal in his life, you know, but this guy was, it was a great way to sort of, and and in correspondence as well, he just looks like a a really caring parent. Issues at school as well. So any issues at school they'll use. And what are we going to do about their, you know, I think they're struggling at school. I think they've got ADHD. I think they've got dyslexia. I think they've got autism. You know, what are we going to do about this? We need meetings with the, with the, with the school, um, constantly trying to get that person in a room with them basically. Um, and they, they'll also do things like trying to ch- just cause havoc by changing contact time. I can't do Thursday. Can we do this? And just always trying to get in touch, find a way to get in touch and change things and cause havoc. So if they're really high spectrum and they're clever as well, so they've got to be clever as well and actively manipulative. Not all narcissists are actively manipulative. They're just wired to manipulate. But the really clever ones can actually actively manipulate. And so they they will actually use Our Family Wizard, which is a parenting app that I usually recommend for um, people who are dealing with narcissists. But they can actually use them as a weapon of abuse by doing that very clever thing of pretending to be interested in in the welfare of the child and, and giving very reasonable sounding answers and asking reasonable sounding questions, which the spouse knows is not reasonable at all. But no one else can see that. So you've got to be quite careful. Most people, I think our family wizard does work for, even when they are dealing with a narcissist. But if you've got a super clever one and they can really sort of rein in the rage, um, you know, in the written form, be a slightly wary um, about that. That's what I'd say on that one. Of course, they're trying to exert control as well. Um, so they'll do all sorts of things. Yeah, they'll bad mouth the other parent uh, to the children. They'll call you names, um, had some awful names um, that have said to the children about the other parent um, recently. And they'll ridicule you. They'll claim that you've taken all the money. Um, and of course, they, parental alienation is a thing with narcissists. They do do that. So they can actually turn the child against the other parent so much that they alienate the child from that parent 
they're always trying to increase time with the children. Again, very often they had no interest whatsoever in the children before. And they're doing that just to punish their ex and cause fear and, of course, reduce any child maintenance that they need to, um, to you know, that they're paying. And that's so, so common that narcissists will want 50-50 or more. Um, little manipulative tactics a very common one to try to get the children to kind of voluntarily spend more time with them is um to get a puppy or get a kitten i see that all the time Uh, it's unbelievable how common i see that and they're not interested in the puppy or the kitten and they can't really look after a puppy or a kitten um or have its you put its needs ahead of their own so that's interesting um withholding consent to travel lovely that one I actually had a case recently where a narcissistic spouse refused to let the um, was put in correspondence. I I refused to let you leave England. It wasn't even the UK. You're not allowed to leave England um, with the children. So that was outrageous. They won't return the children's passports if they if they're holding them or if they've been away with them and they've got them um, or they'll return them right at the very end or it'll require a court application because they love causing that um, that control. And, that you know, you've got to then keep asking for them. That's contact and they can just ignore you or they can um, you know, they can they can just keep coming back with correspondence about other things. It's wonderful. It's not narcissistic supply. Um, Of course, they make false allegations as well um, about the non-narcissistic parent. So they'll do that to the police. They'll do that to social services. um, And they'll do things like they like to triangulate. They'll send you abusive emails, but they'll do it kind of via social services. They'll write to social services and they'll copy you in or they'll write to the headmistress of the school and they'll copy you in. And they'll make all these allegations about you and your parenting um, in those emails that are going to these third parties. Another really common one is making school applications. So they'll make applications unilaterally without asking you, and they won't consider what's in the best interest of the individual child. Um, The school might be near to them. It might be a school that's maybe expensive, and they can therefore get the other parent to pay for half of it or even more, which means that, you know, they're financially abusing them as well um, through the children. It always pretty much happens um, that there'll be issues with, with school, with making applications for school. So that kind of, you know, 11 plus, or if they're going at 13 or sixth form or any, any of those times are just a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Do, do you see many attempts from narcissists to start doing homeschooling, to pull them out of school? Is that something that ever crops up? Yeah. I seem to have had a spate of those recently in cases that I've been involved Oh, really? With. Yeah. And it's, um, with no real, you know, like two days before term starts, never been floated before. And yeah, it, it got my narcissism spidey sense tingling. Yes. Yeah, it really does happen. Um, I've had one recently with a child who's autistic um, and he's sort of behaving way worse than he normally would behave because his, uh, the narcissistic um, parent is actually basically kind of just happened he's getting him to a state before he goes to school essentially and he's just making things worse he's not calming him down so he's behaving badly at school and now the school have agreed or we can't actually deal with him but part of that i think is because he's been such a nightmare the narcissist constantly um, having scraps with the school um always always fighting with them and being really unpleasant saying i'm going to make a formal complaint and all of this so they're kind of just thinking oh god actually you know let's let's just get rid of this child so the child has actually been taken out of school which is exactly what he wanted and i think he wants now probably to get the mother um to homeschool the the child because then she can't work and that's more control over her and it just basically messes up her life whereas actually the child is kind of calm 
going to school with her on on her days really difficult really difficult it's just awful i mean it's, it's just absolute you know it's it, it, it's damaging to children it's weaponization of children i mean i appreciate there's a lot of other examples i'm sure we can go through them but how doesn't the narcissist love their child because that is not something that you could ever do if you love your child not really is the answer they can't really love so a narcissist love with everybody is conditional or transactional and that does include their love for their children unfortunately and some people don't really get that they think oh no you know they love them they love them they do love them because they've done that kind of dis some some narcissists do the disney parent thing where mm. out in public they're the rugby coach or the they'll be really great with their children in front of people essentially and so people are always fooled by that and they think oh you know but they do they do love them but actually they can't love them they don't love them they can't put them first either they can't put their needs first so they see their children as being extensions of themselves. It's really weird situations. They see their children as being extensions of themselves. So if they're not feeling bad, then their child can't be feeling bad. You know, um, they they want the child to do what they want them to do. They want the child to be what they want them to be, to have what they want them to have. They can't see them separate in some way. But then at the same time, they can actually abuse the child as if just in all the ways that they abuse other people, which we've gone through another podcast. They exploit they use their children as well as to get narcissistic supply from onlookers. So hence that Disney thing. Mm. Wow, you're such an amazing dad. Wow, you're such an amazing mom. They'll use them to do that. So they're not actually, they're not actually, it's not through love. They're not putting uh, Jocasta in the National Youth Orchestra because they love her. Um, they're doing it because they want narcissistic supply from the admiration of other people. Yeah, I mean, you use the term sort of Disney parenting and it sounds as if they're very much putting on a show. It's all an act. It's all very superficial. So I guess the question is, can they be good parents? If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. I think is the short answer on that one. I mean, there are things they can do. Say if they value a child becoming the best tennis player at getting up to kind of a international level, that could be good for the child in theory, ultimately. Those types of things could be good. But actually, it's, there, it's where it's coming from. Um, and overall, no, because, you know, if you've got no empathy for your child um, and if you're using them to get narcissistic supply and if you can't actually recognise their needs and prioritise their needs, if you can't see them as an individual, recognise what they want out of life and if you can't celebrate their successes with them unless they're successes that reflect well on you 
or kind of commiserate when things go wrong. That's just, that is not good parenting. And actually they do, they will abuse their children. They will gaslight them. They will do all the things that they do to other people. They'll invalidate them. They'll devalue them behind closed doors or sometimes not behind closed doors. Um, they'll control them. Um, and so actually narcissistic parenting is really bad for children. I, I suppose there's a, a degree to which you know it's the the they can present good opportunities because it reflects well about them you talk about being a tennis player or the national youth orchestra or whatever it may be and uh i'm gonna have to sound the uh the klaxon on this one because donald trump who comes up every time we talk about narcissism i guess his children get all these phenomenal opportunities to do various things and the other but you can't imagine that there isn't some deep emotional scarring from the way that he has been with them and you know we, we talk about donald trump on all of these uh narcissism podcast so i felt like we had to name check him but i suppose people like that who they get the amazing opportunities and from afar you probably look at them and go oh my god isn't that amazing look you've been put through private school or you've done this or what amazing opportunities you've had without really understanding that that comes with a backdrop of you know abusive behavior that that creates these scarrings even though you've got the opportunities yeah and uh, you know and also of course if you're brought up by a narcissist there's a, there's a risk that you will become a narcissist because you know, you learn those behaviours or, or you, because you've got to protect yourself from them, you develop strategies um, to, to protect yourself. And then those kind of become wired in. And that's how narcissism actually forms by you trying to kind of cope with an, a, an upbringing that's adverse in some way. And these coping strategies become wired in and, and can present themselves as narcissism when you're an adult. They're not just scarred. They can actually become narcissists themselves. Not all that doesn't happen to everybody. There are long-term consequences. They can, if you don't become a narcissist, you can attract narcissists because you're kind of attracted to the subconscious pull of the familiar. So you can attract a narcissistic partner as an adult and then go on to be narcissistically abused for decades or forever without realising it because there's a really strong chemistry there. Or, you know, with any type of um, abusive parenting, it, you're going to be that people have eating disorders, depression, anxiety, uh, substance abuse issues those are really really common self-harm it's so so common um so we and we don't see any of that do we We don't see any of that in any of the kind of trump children we don't see behind the kind of uh, facade but mm. what is really going on there i don't think any of them would say yeah we had a great upbringing but having said that they were also brought up by their mother i believe and so it is possible, and I want to make this point mm. very strongly, it is possible to mitigate, it's possible to, to, to lessen the effects of the narcissistic parent um, on, on the children um, as the other parent. So, so how do you do that then? If you're the other parent, what, what do you do to counteract this kind of maelstrom of narcissism and awful behaviour and things? You know, what are the, you know, how do you try and co-parents if you can, you know, what, what do you do? We're talking about the kind of making up for the parenting deficiencies of the narcissist. So if we, if we just kind of look at that first, basically, because that's I think that's the thing when clients come to me, that's the thing they're most scared of. Um, what's going to happen to the children, particularly if the narcissist has got 50 50 or even more? What's going to happen to the children? How, what can I do to stop the children from from being damaged? And actually, there is a lot you can do. Because now you're you're you, you're in your separate homes and you're no longer kind of having to enable the narcissist behavior because that's kind of what happened when when you're living in the same home. What are you supposed to do? You know, when they're behaving badly, you can't very well 
bad mouth them in front of your child but and i'm not saying you do that um when you're separated but the fact that you're now in two different homes hopefully uh, means that you can do things your way so essentially number one is you can model empathy so you can show them empathy you can teach them what empathy is and you can teach them about emotions so say even if they're really little and you're reading a book with them you can say and what do you how do you think that character felt at that time and really go deep into into naming emotions um, a narcissist isn't going to do that. They don't do empathy and they don't do naming emotions. So that's actually going to help develop that child and protect them. And also, you've got to be the person that gives them really good boundaries. Because um, a narcissist, again, is unlikely. I mean, they're either going to have really controlling, outrageous boundaries. You are never going out ever. You know, you're not wearing that. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Really um, authoritarian. Or they'll just let them do whatever they want. So it's about finding that balance. It's about ha being bounded with them because uh, they need to know, they, they feel comfortable with rules. But having the type of rules where if they go, well, hang on, why do I have to be back by whatever, 8.30 on a Friday when I'm now 15? You can negotiate with them. Um, and that's called the authoritative parenting style. And that's the one you want to go for where you can actually go and actually thinking about it. You're right. Maybe maybe we could you know extend that to 9.30 or maybe you could stay over at your friend's house. It's that. So it's boundaries, but with flexibility. The other thing, of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a narcissist, unless it reflects well on them, they're not going to celebrate their successes. They're never going to do that. Um, they're not going to, you know, when things go wrong, they're not going to commiserate with them because they're not going to have any empathy for them. So again, that's about modeling that empathy and seeing them as individuals. They have their own wants, they have their own needs, they have their own preferences. You, as a non-narcissistic parent, will be able to see those and respect them. See that child as an individual. I mean, this is just what normal people do anyway. But remember that you're trying to show the difference between you and the narcissist and they will come to see that teaching them how to assert their boundaries as well it's all very well you having boundaries but they've got to have boundaries you've got to you've got to teach because that will protect them as well from the narcissist so they've got to be able to learn how to say no um and draw the line and you've got to show them that you respect their boundaries so again when their narcissistic parent doesn't um they go oh hang on a minute it's it's all about at the end of the day becoming securely attached to that child um, an attachment where they, they know that they're safe with you 100%. And even if you tell them off, even if they, they know they can come to you, it's that, it's, they're very securely attached. Um, that's all you need. You only need one parent, one secure attachment to not become a narcissist. That's all that children need. And there's been, there's been some good research on that. I'm, I'm not just making this up. So I think what this is about is them knowing the difference between the two of you, the two of your kind of parenting styles and knowing who they trust. And that will come with time. And then eventually what happens is that they very often vote with their feet. They just walk out the door um, and they don't go back basically to the narcissistic parent, even if the narcissistic parent was the one that had them for the majority of the time. Um, so that quite often happens, unless, of course, they've been successfully alienated from the other parent. And it's you, you, you've got to be the boring parent. You've got to be consistent. They might be the fun parent. It goes on the expensive holidays and, you know, woo, let's do this. But they will trust you and value your consistency. So that's how I think you kind of help with it, this, that side of it with the children. It, that, those things are really important. But those things are the things that you've got power over. Um, and they're, they're just more important than you could probably ever imagine. Probably the most important thing um, that I'm going to say, really, um, as we're speaking about this, I think. Yeah. And I think it's really important, isn't it, that people do feel empowered, that they do feel like, oh, you know, be 
because I'm dealing with a narcissist, I can't do anything about it to know that actually you can make a huge difference to your children's upbringing, their their outcomes, their possibility of them becoming narcissists themselves actually is something that's in your control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all really interesting and some really great practical tips, actually, for people that are listening that are perhaps struggling with co-parenting um, at the moment. So really, really useful. I'm sure lots of people will find it great. So that's it for part one of this episode of Stow Talks. Thanks for listening. Don't miss out on part two, available wherever you find your podcasts and over on the Stow YouTube channel or head over to stowtalks.co.uk. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.